This episode of Quite Unusual is brought to you by Spirits of Salem Book 2, The After, by E.S. Kern. In this explosive sequel to his debut novel, The Shade, author E.S. Kern explores the fateful consequences of Sybil Aldgate's ascension. Descendant of Salem witches and a modern-day ghost whisperer, Sybil faces even bigger threats, world-shattering revelations, and terrors from a past she didn't even know existed. As the mythical veil, a barrier separating the worlds of the living and the dead, grows thinner, a strange and dangerous new entity begins to stalk the burgeoning hedgewitch, hijacking her newfound powers to cause harm to others. Will Sybil be able to unmask this fiend before it can destroy her once and for all? Find out in Spirits of Salem Book 2, The After. Available on Amazon and Kindle, March 2022. Spirits of Salem Book 1, The Shade. Available on Amazon and Kindle now. Where will you be when worlds collide? Quite unusual. Hello and welcome to the Quite Unusual podcast. The podcast where we seem to only talk about really sad things so far this year. Yeah. Well, mm, maybe we should. Well, this is going to be a two-parter. So I was going to say, maybe next week we'll talk about something happy. But we won't. But we won't. Maybe the week after that. Possibly. We'll talk about something happy. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I feel like most of our topics are just like really downers. Like, you know. Yeah, but we have some fun ones coming. That are scary. Yeah. I like so, scary. Scary's good. Scary's sort of fun. We gotta do more scary this year. Ooh, more scary. More scary. Let's do it. All right. We are your hosts, your scary, scary hosts. <laughs> I am Noelle. And I am Nicole. And Nicole, I have to tell you something. Yes. Um, this is pretty important. Okay. This might be the most important thing I'll ever say to you. Ever? Yeah. Also, I want to apologize because it's the dumbest thing I will also ever say to you. Okay, so most important and also dumbest. Yes. Um, you were in my dream last night. Oh, wonderful. I, I have weirdly been dreaming about you a lot. Um, but we live well, together. Yeah, so that's I probably... See you, like 24, <laughs> so we live together and work together and do yeah. this together. So we, it, it makes it makes sense. I'm probably actually. the person who's most present in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So. It's like you and like my Lord and Savior Bigfoot. But um, mm-hmm. otherwise, yeah, totally. Okay. So last night I had a dream that you obviously were in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was there with you and we were like at this weird bar, like, you know, like the stand up comedian background where it's like the brick wall and oh, it says yeah. like improv or like laugh factory yeah. or like whatever in like improv. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> totally. Totally. So we're standing on a stage. We're standing in front of this brick wall. We have microphones and right. we didn't like tell any jokes or anything, but we were being heavily heckled. So were we doing, we weren't doing com- comedy? We were just standing there. We were like standing there and then heckled. like getting heckled. So I don't know what the situation was, what okay. we were doing on that stage. And then this man in the front row starts throwing tomatoes at what? us. He has like a shopping bag, like a plastic <laughs> like jewel bag full of tomatoes. Just in case, man. And he's ripping them off the vine. So like these are expensive tomatoes. <laughs> on the vine yeah. too? Yeah, he bought on the vine God, tomatoes wow. to throw at us. Wow. And he's throwing them at us. And I'm like getting hit by them. But like they're like bullets. And I'm like, oh, oh, uh, oh. Uh. And like my body's like shaking <laughs> like and like recoiling. Over, yeah. yeah. I'm getting hit with these maters. And you are like matrix style <laughs> dodging them. Like, like, like going full Neo, like, 
it was incredible. Like, absolutely incredible. Like, you almost, like, Trinity kicked one. It was unreal. <laughs> and then you you stop and you look this man in the eye and you say, call me O.J. Simpson because I orn thaw your ass about to throw that. <laughs> what? So were we doing comedy or was it just... I do not know. But this man, like, stands up and he's like... <laughs> And he's just like slow clapping. And then the whole bar, they all stand up and they start slow clapping. And they're like, cue you, cue you, cue you. And then they pick you up on their shoulders and they carry you out. And I'm sitting on the stage covered in tomato juice. And I'm like, (laughs) I have like a tear in my eye. And I'm like, crap you? No, I'm like so proud of you in that moment. And I'm like crying. And then my cat woke me up to feed her at four in the morning. Oh. Yeah. So that's where it ended. Um, That's... But you delivered the best one-liner I have heard all year <laughs> in my dream. Technically, you delivered it. I just was, I guess, like, there. You were a vessel. I was the vessel. Which I spoke. <laughs> to deliver it. It's probably because you've been listening to a podcast on O.J. Simpson. Oh, my God, dude. It's like a 95-part. Like, Yeah, there's so much. That's golden hot tub for sure that is for sure a golden hot tub we'll do it one day um the episodes that i'm listening the show that i'm listening to they've been like breaking it up for like two years they've been doing this yeah like in like intermittently and they didn't finish it and i just found out that they didn't finish it what and i would not have started it if i didn't are they not finishing it i don't know i don't think they are no like one of the hosts left it's called um you're wrong about you're wrong about and is it just specifically about oj no no they they talk about a lot of things it's like a really interesting podcast where they just like like they do one on like tammy faye baker um Mm. they did one on like the newsies strike of like the 1700s all right it's like anything and everything like they talk about um this is like heavily research yes yeah and it's super good but now i'm really disappointed and i wouldn't have started that series if i knew that they didn't finish it i ain't gonna leave people hanging like that like, I don't know what happened. Do you? No. I don't know No how... one will ever know. No one knows how the OJ trial ended. No. No. So, a little disappointing, but um, thank well... you for penetrating my dreams <laughs> with your OJ. Now I feel like we have to do stand-up and we have to plant someone in the audience to throw tomatoes at us just okay. so okay. that line can be said. I would be so scared to do stand-up. Sometimes we get messages, like mm-hmm. DMs and stuff, of people being like, you guys are so funny. You should do a stand-up. No, I would pee my pants. I throw up in my mouth when I read those messages. I cannot <laughs> imagine doing it. I would piss myself like, on stage, for sure. Yeah, there's no way. Couldn't do it. No. So. All right, everyone. So today's episode is sort of a, like, a kissing cousins episode um, in our feral children's suite. If you haven't listened to those two episodes, this is going to kind of be a weird one to start with because you don't have, like, the background on what a feral child is. Uh, well, I think you still could. I don't know if you necessarily have to go back, but it, it would be nice to have the background. Yeah. But I will say, if this is the first time you are ever listening to our show, maybe hit pause. <laughs> maybe uh go to a different one. Maybe check out last week's instead. This one seems like a really heavy show to start with yeah this one's very heavy as like your introductory qu warning to you show yeah if you guys sat through the five minute intro of dream talk i'm sorry (laughs) some people tell you some people like it some people don't you know can't please everyone so if you like to skip then skip if you like to listen to us chat in the beginning 
then listen. Oh my God, I want to know. Also, I want to know if you guys like listening to people's dreams. I do. I do too. I love I think it. It's interesting. Yeah. So that's interesting. I'm going to put a poll on Instagram for sure. Yeah. Uh, but let's just get into it. Should we? Okay, let's, let's do, do it. it. All right. So this is a very, very long story. So we're actually going to split it into two parts, like Nicole said earlier. Um, so here we go. Without further ado, part one, Jeannie, the feral child. All right. So before we get into the horrific and heartbreaking story of Jeannie, which just going to give you guys a warning, it's very heavy. It includes extreme abuse to children. So just warning some of you, if you want to skip, do it now. No hard feelings. <laughs> no hard feelings. But before we talk about Jeannie, we have to talk about the fucked up people who made Jeannie the way that she is. Her parents. <sighs> and actually, Jeannie isn't really her name. It was given to her to protect her identity because she was still a very young girl when she was discovered. And they didn't want the media just to make things worse. Well, that's what the media does. Yep. So, yeah. They do that. Uh They tend to do that. The reason they gave her the name Jeannie in her case file is explained in the 1997 Nova documentary titled Secrets of the Wild Child. Susan Curtis, a member of the research team, said, The case name is Jeannie. This is not the person's real name, but when we think about what a genie is, a genie is a creature that comes out of a bottle or whatever, but emerges into human society, past childhood. We assume that it really isn't a creature that had a human childhood, which is very unsettling Mm. and also sort of dehumanizing. Yeah. So I'm not sure how I really feel about that. Yeah, it's also kind of like a stretch. She's like, okay, Mm -hmm. so we're going to call her Jeannie. Here's why. Because a Jeannie, you've never seen a baby Jeannie, right? So, like, obviously it's an adult. And, like, we don't know if Jeannies have childhoods. It's like, okay, Susan, take it down a notch. Yeah. You're really stretching this. It's very weird. And I get the desire to keep her anonymous. Makes total sense. Right. Then call her, like, Jane. Exactly. I wrote that in the margins here. (laughs) Call her Jane. Or like, young girl was discovered. Yeah. Like, why do you have to be like, she's a mythical creature that we don't know if she had a childhood. It's so Maybe she lived in a bottle. Susan, (laughs) she lived in a fucking bottle. Okay. She was a child. She is a child. She was a child and she had a childhood, but her childhood was just extremely Bottle inside of a bottle. Yeah, actually, kind of. And you guys will get to... I understand so. that, I guess, a little bit more. It's just kind of a weird thing to do. But yeah, whatever. I don't, I don't get it. No. But Jeannie mm-hmm. was actually born, and I don't feel bad saying this because her case has been out there. People know. It's not like I'm breaking into anything that isn't what you can find no, online. It's been like 70 years. Yeah. So Jeannie was actually born Susan Wiley to Clark and Dorothy Irene Wiley in 1957 in Arcadia, California. Her mother, who went by Irene, her middle name, moved to Los Angeles when she was a teenager with friends because she was fleeing her farming family and the Dust Bowl in Oklahoma. It was in Southern California that she met Clark, who was 20 years older than her, and the two got married. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's already problematic. A little Mm-hmm. But she was fleeing Oklahoma, and she found this guy, and he was like, yeah, sure. Got to get out of that dust bowl, dude. Got to get out of the dust bowl. 
Jeannie's father, Clark Wiley, worked in a factory as a flight mechanic during World War II and continued to work in aviation afterwards. I also read that he was a factory assembly line worker, so I don't know if that, like, had to do with, like, aviation stuff. Yeah, but anyways, when Jeannie's mother was young, she sustained a really bad head injury in an accident which caused her neurological damage, which caused her degenerative vision problems in one eye. Jeannie's father grew up in and out of orphanages along the Pacific Northwest. Oh, can I interrupt for one second? Yes, please. So I've been listening to a lot of true crime podcasts lately, mm. like binging them hard. And so many serial killers and just like real bad dudes yeah. come from the Pacific Northwest. Huh. Really? Yeah, I don't know what it is. It's kind of insane. Not that Clark. Maybe it's because it's like there's a lot of wilderness out there and Maybe. I feel like... You could probably kill someone uh-huh. easily. Yeah. Or yeah. more easier. Yeah. Like butcher baby shit. Like, it, yeah, you're probably right. It's like kind of untamed yeah, wilderness. Yeah, exactly. Like in the city. I mean, I yeah. guess. Well, yeah, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's just a like open space. Just like a trend. I'd like to see like a map of like how many serial killers come from like which area. That would be sort of interesting. That would be very interesting. Yeah. I bet you it's wherever, like, the biggest city are, cities are, but... Yeah, probably. But anyways, I just wanted to point that out. It's kind of funny. Mm, that is, it is kind of fun. Sort of fun. Sort of fun. Sort of fun. In the way that we say sort of fun. Yeah, sort of fun. <laughs> After Clark's father died from a lightning strike, okay. which I don't know how that happens, but it happens. He was the tin man. <laughs> His mother ran um, a lot of brothels So after his father died. The way that she made money was she ran a lot of brothels. So Clark was either living in brothels or orphanages as a kid. So he was just like kind of in and out wherever. Times were tough. Yep, exactly. Clark was also not his real name. His birth name given by his mother was feminine and resulted in constant bullying from other children, which he resented her for. Oh, I couldn't find what his original name was. Oh, okay. So I think we should just, like, make it up and Uh call him by it from now on, because you will go on to see, like the serial killers we talk about, this guy definitely deserves to be made fun of. Okay, I'm going to just, like, we're going to go through some names here. Okay, Mm -hmm. we got Tandy. Tandy? We got uh, Carol. That's a man's name. (laughs) Uh, it's like, what do you think it could have been? Like so, Ashley? Ashley? It could have been Ashley. There's so many names that like, I bet it was something just like vaguely feminine that he was offended by. Yeah. Something like, like ended in, he was like Charlie, but he was like, it should have been Charles or like something that he didn't feel was like manly enough. I'd like to think it was something like Samantha. Oh, Rebecca. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, why did you name me Samantha? But then he could have gone by Sam. So yeah. Guess. So it's got to be something, well, like, so feminine and, like, no good nicknames. Mm. Cynthia. It was Cynthia. <laughs> Cynthia. And then he just Wiley. went to Clark so he could keep <laughs> yes. the initials the same. Yes. Yeah. So Cynthia. Cynthia. Cynthia Wiley. So Cynthia's upbringing and relationship <laughs> with his mother was not very great, which scientists and psychologists believe could be the root for all of his anger problems as an adult. Yeah. Some people are also just kind of born dicks. Yeah. yeah. That too. When he grew into adulthood, he changed his name to the manliest name he could think of, 
Clark. From Cynthia. From Cynthia, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. And his mother began to spend as much time with him as she could. Uh Uh-oh. His mother did not approve of his rigid lifestyle, but despite their many arguments, Clark became obsessed with Mommy Dearest. Oh, no. And any other relationship would always come second to his relationships with his mommy. No. He's a true mama's boy. The, the fucking worst. The fucking worst. Um, also, I'm right now imagining, which I think you'll agree with, if mm-hmm. John Wayne had been popular at this time, he would have named himself John Wayne. Oh, Totally. Absolutely. Totally. Fucking Cynthia. Cynthia. I'm also picturing the Cynthia doll from Rugrats. Me too. (laughs) Me too. The Wileys seemed like a normal couple. They were young and happy. Well, Well, one was young. Irene was young. Yeah. (laughs) And happy. (laughs) But after Cynthia and Irene married, he became extremely controlling over Irene. He would not let her leave the home and would beat her frequently. Oh, my God. Irene's eyesight was already very poor from her accident as a child and was steadily deteriorating. She had severe cataracts and a detached retina in one eye. I'm not sure if that was from the beating she suffered at the hands of her husband, but she was extremely reliant on Clark because she couldn't see. It, it could have been from him. Like, yeah. It already kind of started and then he made it worse. Yeah, by beating her. That's my biggest fear, losing my eyesight. Oof. Yeah. Clark never wanted children. In fact, he hated kids. He thought they were noisy and caused too much stress. But despite this, Irene became pregnant about five years into their marriage. Wow, that's a little foreshadowing there. Mm. Clark beat Irene throughout the pregnancy and almost strangled her to death near the end. But she still managed to give birth to a healthy daughter. The baby would cry because that's what babies do. That's what they do. That's what babies do. That's what they do. And Clark did not like this. He found her cries disturbing. Wow. So he put the poor newborn in the freezing garage to muffle the noise. Now, some accounts say she died of pneumonia, and others say she froze to death. Oh, my God. So I'm not sure which is worse. But she was only 10 weeks old at the time of her death. Well, um, I will just add some info here. I recently listened to a podcast about the worst ways to die. Mm -hmm. And freezing to death is the single best way to die. Really? Because you just go to sleep. But you're really cold before that. Yeah. But you just, I mean, you're going to die anyways. But like, you just go to sleep. That's true. Well, that, I guess, makes me feel a little better. I mean, it's super fucked up to rationalize, but... Yeah. You know, Yeah, there's worse ways, I guess. Yeah. Well, they apparently did not learn their lesson, and a year later, their second child was born, this time a boy. However, he was born with RH incompatibility and died two days later. Wow. They say either from complications from RH incompatibility or from choking on his own mucus due to neglect. Oh, my God. Once again. I don't know which one. Uh, I'd say the choking on mucus is probably worse. Probably. Then three years after that, the pair had another son okay. who, like the last son, also had RH incompatibility, but on all other accounts was a healthy baby, and they named him John. Wayne. John Wayne. John yeah. Wayne. Also, I'm just going to, this is total like speculation here. I'm going to assume that these are probably 
if not rape babies, but like she probably had no say in getting pregnant. Yeah. I mean, what we know about him and how he, abusive he is. Yeah. He hated babies. Like, there's no way they were planning any of it's this. like, then f- wear a fucking condom, bro. Don't you dare tell Cynthia what to do. <laughs> like with the first child, Clark forced Irene to keep the baby quiet, which resulted in physical and linguistic development delays. I'm not sure what she did to make the baby quiet, but... Whatever it was stunted the poor kid. This baby was lucky enough to survive it, though, and by the age of four, his maternal grandmother was concerned about the boy's development, or lack thereof, and took care of him for several months. Surprise, surprise, once the boy was out of the hell house he was living in, he started to make developmental progress, but then she gave him right back to his parents And he just sort of reverted back. Oh, God, that's so sad. Jeannie was born five years after her brother, John. And this was around the same time Clark got really weird. Or, I guess, more weird than he already was. He was pretty weird to begin with. It's pretty fucking weird. Mm -hmm. So he began to isolate himself and his family from the outside world. At birth, Jeannie was in the 50th percentile for weight, meaning she was born right in the middle of the normal range. A day after her birth, she also showed signs of RH incompatibility and needed a blood transfusion. Jeannie was taken to the doctor for a checkup three months later, and she seemed to be doing just fine. She was gaining weight, but they discovered a congenital hip dislocation, and and in turn, she had to wear a very restrictive splint from four to 11 months old. The splint made it so she could not walk, and this hindered her ability to learn, as a normal child would. They believe this is why her father believed she was mentally challenged, because she was late to walk, but it was actually just because she couldn't really learn while she was wearing the splint. Right, but, like, she was still, like, awake. It's not like she couldn't sit there and, like, pay attention to things. But Clark's a weirdo. Oh, yeah. You know. I know, I know. Fucking Cynthia. So, because he believed Jeannie to be mentally disabled, he decided he was just going to ignore her and actually encouraged Irene and John to do the same. He looked at her as if she were a lesser human, basically. There isn't much info about Jeannie's early life because her parents were huge dicks, but her medical records indicated she showed normal development. When she was 11 months, her pediatrician wrote that Jeannie was in good health, but was showing signs of malnourishment. Uh Uh-oh. When Jeannie was 14 months old, she got really sick with a fever and pneumonitis, so her parents took her to the doctor which was a different pediatrician from the one she was originally seeing. That's interesting. It seems deliberate. Well, he told her parents that he couldn't be sure due to her illness, but that there was a possibility she may be mentally challenged or have some sort of brain dysfunction. And this just basically solidified it for her father. Mm, Okay. So... When Jeannie was 20 months old, her paternal grandmother was killed in a hit-and-run accident. So this would be Cynthia's mother. Yeah. 
The one he loved and also hated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She was walking along the side of the road with Jeannie's brother, John, when she was struck and killed by a truck. Since Clark had this weird-ass obsession with his mother, her death messed him up pretty bad, and he blamed his poor son, John, for the accident since he had been walking with her. Okay, first off, poor John, because you just watched your grandmother get hit by a fucking bus, truck, whatever. That's an insane thing to go through as a child. Yeah. And Cynthia is just really the worst, dude. Yeah. I mean, we'll we'll go on to learn that even more. Oh, yeah. No, I know. I know. But <laughs> the driver of the truck was only given a probationary sentence for manslaughter and drunk driving. And this just added to the anger and resentment that Clark held for the world and those around him. Oh, wow. Researchers believe it was this moment that was a turning point for Clark. He felt as though society had failed him and decided to isolate, or I guess protect as he called it, his family from the outside world, even more so than what he was doing. Right. So before he was just like wildly abusive and neglective, and now he's also kind of crazy. Yeah. Great. So he quit his job and he moved his family into his mother's two-bedroom house. Clark left his mother's car and bedroom untouched oh my God. as a creepy shrine to her and felt he needed to protect Jeannie by hiding her existence from the world as he believed her to be useless to society. This is a lot of things to unpack here, but this is big Norman Bates vibes. Dude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Believing that you see this so many times in serial killers that have weird like relationships with their yeah. moms, like a weird like shrine to their mom's room. Yeah. It's like, like you Jason Voorhees style. Too. It honestly <laughs> is, dude. Like that's where that trope comes from, though. Like Ed Gein did it. Yeah. It's really disgusting. I hate this man more than anyone. So Clark kept Jeannie confined to the second bedroom. And now remember. There were only two bedrooms in the house. Okay. And he wouldn't let anyone set foot in his mother's old room. So him, Irene, and John all slept in the living room. Reasonable. Because he kept Jeannie in the second bedroom. Reasonable. Well, she gets her own room. That's great. I mean, I guess that's the one plus to this really messed up. I don't think it's a plus. It's not. It's not. Jeannie was tied to a child's toilet for 13 hours a day. He crafted a makeshift harness, which was basically just a straitjacket, so she couldn't move or escape her straps. Jeannie wore only diapers and was only able to move her hands and her feet. At night, Jeannie was tied to a sleeping bag and placed in a crib with a metal screen cover on top. Once again, she could not move her arms or her legs. But it's also believed that he left her tied to the toilet some nights, like just forgot and just left her in a sitting position all night long. You know, I'm a little surprised that he took the time to actually remove her from the chair and put her in a sleeping bag and then the crib. Yeah. Like, that's actually a little bit shocking to me that he took that extra, like, step. Instead of, yeah, just leaving her constantly there. Yeah. If Jeannie made any noise, her father would beat her with a large plank of wood, which he kept in her room, for easy access. Okay, cool. He would also bare his teeth and bark and growl like a wild animal to scare her into submission. Yeah, um, we'll talk about this a little bit more later. Um, But also, I want to bring up something about this large 
plank of wood thing. I read an interview from John from a couple years ago, mm-hmm. and he said that when he went through puberty, um, you know, like any boy, he's like, girls are super hot. Look at my tiny mustache. Like normal boy puberty stuff, right? Combs it with a little comb that he pulls yeah. out of his pocket. You got to, right? So proud. Mustache wax. Yeah, just the whole thing. Um, his dad would tie him to a chair and beat his genitals with this wooden plank. Why? Because he didn't want him to have children. <sighs> yeah. He's like, you're not going to turn out like me. No kids for you. And then he would just mutilate his son's genitals <sighs> with this beating plank. So dual it's, purpose. It's disgusting. Yeah, it's very, yeah, it's not great. Clark even grew his nails long just so he could scratch Jeannie like an animal. That's an insane. Come on. He, oh, it gets worse. Freddy Krueger. He would sit outside of her room, barking and growling at her door just to torment her and keep her in line, which resulted in Jeannie having an extreme fear of cats and dogs. That's so fucked up. So he would pretend to be a wild animal outside of her door, like banging on the door, barking, growling, like he was like waiting outside if she left the room, like that animal would get her basically yeah this is this man is severely insane insane very unwell behavior no one knows why he acted like this one scientist speculated he might have seen himself as a guard dog and was physically acting out the role but i think he was just a fucking weirdo yeah like mentally ill he was just like disturbed yeah ex- to be honest. extremely disturbed mm-hmm. there's no like justification for this behavior no not at all but because of this Jeannie was trained and conditioned to make as little sound as possible and she did not show any emotions or expressions In her own words, Jeannie said, Father hit arm, big wood, Jeannie cry, not spit, father, hit face, spit, father hit big stick, father is angry, father hit Jeannie big stick, father take peace wood hit, cry, father make me cry. Um, Yeah, and this actually, this quote is from like way later in her life. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is like the maximum that her speech ever develops. Yeah. Jeannie had a tendency to masturbate in inappropriate situations, which made doctors believe she might have also been sexually abused. Mm -hmm. They think her father might have forced her brother to sexually abuse her as well. But there's no real evidence. It's just speculation. That's a pretty wild thing to speculate. Yeah. Like, um, definitely, I would say sexual abuse from her father. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously, I don't know, but... That's just, it's kind of weird to point to that without any, like, proof of sorts. Yeah. Like, it kind of, like, maligns John a little bit. Uh, yeah, unless he actually has ever come out and said that he has been forced to do that, which I don't know. I, I, I couldn't find would. anything. I read a couple yeah. interviews with him, and he didn't, he said he was there for the abuse, mm-hmm. but he never mentioned anything really aside from that. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, obviously, no one knows, but. Right. and I, But also, that's not something that. I think you'd really that's call out about yourself. Yeah, no, yeah, it's true. I, mean, I don't know. It just seems, it, maybe I'm just disturbed. So this is freaking me out. Jeannie was barely fed anything and her father refused to give her solid food. He only fed her baby food, cereal, liquids, occasionally a soft boiled egg and pablum, 
What's that? Which I had to look up. It's a processed cereal for infants, mm. typically used for children in hospitals who are malnutrition. Oh, nutrition. okay. So it's like mush. Baby yeah. Food mush. It's just like, like mush, I guess, with like a bunch of vitamins and stuff in it to like, oh. I don't know. Okay. Her father or brother, if he was forced to, would spoon food into her mouth. Because remember, her arms were always tied up. Mm-hmm. And if she wasn't ready or couldn't swallow fast enough, they would just rub the food in her face. <gasps> Had to be ready or Whoa. else the food would just get shoved into her face, basically. That's fucked up. Clark only allowed Irene to be with Jeannie during her feedings. He didn't allow her to feed her. Just She was just able to watch. But Irene claims that he fed Jeannie three times a day, but then also said Jeannie would receive many beatings when she would make a noise, indicating she was hungry. Okay. Which obviously shows that he didn't feed her if she was begging for food, making a noise, knowing that she'd get beaten afterwards. You right. Know? Like, she must have been very Very hungry. starved, yeah. yeah. In 1972, Irene told researchers that she would try to sneak Jeannie more food at night, usually around 11 p.m., which caused Jeannie to develop an abnormal sleep pattern. So Jeannie would sleep from 7 p.m. to 11 p.m., wake up for food because her mom would sneak her food, then go back to sleep for another six and a half hours. And she continued with the sleep pattern even after she was removed from the home. So it must have been years and years of this. Right. So her mom was just kind of like, here's more foods, which obviously is another indication that the father wasn't feeding her three times a day. Yeah, absolutely. If she felt like she needed to sneak her food. Yeah. As I mentioned, Clark hated noise, like any kind of noise, so much so that he refused to have a television or radio in the house. He didn't allow his wife or son to talk and like Jeannie. He would beat them if they talked without permission. Okay. He always forbade them from speaking around Jeannie as well. So it was basically just like a house of silence. No one was allowed to talk or make any noise. I don't understand why people like this get married. Yeah. And have kids. Like, why did he even start any of this process? He like, okay, yeah, exactly. If you know you're this type of person, don't get married. And don't have kids. Right? Or well, that's probably too rational of a thought. I mean, honestly, us, but... it would have been better if he if he did get married and had kids. If he just, like, left the family. Right. Like, ran a, like went to go get cigarettes and never, and never came, came back. back. Yeah. That would have been way better than what he did. Yeah. Oh, just, absolutely. Like, hating his life because yeah. people talk around him. Oh, how dare they? Uh, so because no one was allowed to talk around Jeannie, Jeannie never learned how people should talk. She wasn't exposed to any type of language, and the only real sounds she was exposed to were the animalistic sounds her freak of a father would make to scare her. That's, like, the most fucked up part. Yeah. Jeannie was kept in the second bedroom, and Clark kept her room very dark. The only items in her room were her crib, a chair, curtains on the windows, three pieces of other furniture... And two plastic rain jackets that hung on the wall, hmm. which seemed kind of random, but I guess maybe they just didn't have any other place to put their rain jackets. That's where their rain jacket hooks I guess. were. Jeannie had no toys, and Clark would sometimes allow her to play with plastic food containers 
old spools of thread mm. and the raincoats, I guess, in the room. Oh, okay. And he allowed her to look at TV guides, but he would cut out the illustrations. Okay. So just, like, words on a page, I So, guess. like, you can't look at pictures of anything? Yeah. What? He would go out of his way to cut out the pictures. What is the psychology behind any of this? I don't... I would like to see... Show me Matlock. Yeah. I want to see what he looks like. I would like to see... <laughs> I would like an analysis of this man, too. Yeah. But, this is this is absolutely bonkers. Mm-hmm. The room only had two windows, which, for the most part, were always blacked out. Her father left a window slightly open, and even though their house was pretty isolated from the rest of the neighbors... Jeannie was able to look out and see their neighbor's house and, like, a little sliver of sky. When I read this, the way that I cried, picturing little Jeannie, like, peek out of this Mm -hmm. and, like, catch a glimpse of, like, a bird flying in the sky. I'm going to cry right now. This is the most heartbreaking part of any of this. Yeah. She didn't. She couldn't see anything. This whole story, like, I was, like, crying nonstop, but this really hit me. Mm Mm-hmm. She occasionally would be able to hear outside noises from the outside world and would sometimes hear the sound of the neighbor children playing piano drifting through her window. Clark never allowed any member of the family to leave the house. John, her brother, was only allowed to go to school and back and made him show proof of his identity by various means before he would allow the boy to re-enter the home. Okay, so he is just full-on psychosis. He is, yeah, he's insane. Like, paranoid. Irene was never allowed, I don't know how they got groceries or anything. I wonder if Clark left the house. Oh, yeah, I bet you he was probably the only one. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, John could go to school Mm because, obviously, someone would be like, why isn't your son going to school? Mm -hmm. But he had to show proof of his identity in order to get back into the house. Well, all children have state-issued IDs, so, (laughs) obviously. There'd be a code word, but he would just change it out every day. Oh, no, and not tell John. (laughs) I think it's safe to say that Clark was definitely not mentally okay. No, that's pretty safe to say. At this point. Mm -hmm. To discourage John from disobeying his rules... He would sit in the living room with a shotgun in his lap. He wouldn't let anyone come near the house. And he always kept his gun nearby just in case someone did come to the house. I would be really interested to know what this man like would be diagnosed with. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't even know. Like paranoid schizophrenia. Yeah. Honestly, probably. I don't know. No one in the neighborhood knew about the abuse that was constantly going on in the house. They weren't even aware that the family had another child since Jeannie was never allowed to leave. So everyone just thought they had one son. Clark kept a detailed journal about all the fucked up shit he did to his family and the ways in which he tried to hide it from the outside world. That's crazy too, dude. Yeah. So he's, like, cognizant of what he's he doing. Like, yeah, he knew what he was doing, but he, in his messed up mind, however he was thinking, he thought he was protecting them? Right. I don't know. Because his mom got hit by a car. Right. Yeah. Jeannie's mother, Irene, was a complete doormat and really never stood up for herself or her children. On top of that, she was basically completely blind around the time as well, so even if she wanted to do anything, I mean, she... 
really wasn't capable. She yeah, couldn't see. She was see. almost completely blind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was constantly threatened and beaten by her husband. He told her he would kill her if she tried to contact her parents or her friends or if she tried to go to the police. John was also beaten into silence. Clark gave him instructions to keep his father's abuse a secret. And when John got older, Clark forced him to carry out punishments and abuse of Jeannie as well. Yeah. John was extremely frightened of his father and felt like he was completely helpless. John tried to run away from home on several occasions to escape the abuse, but was always brought back and, of course, was always beaten. Jeannie's father was convinced that she would not live to the age of 12, and he promised Irene that if she, by some miracle, did, he would allow her to seek outside medical help for Jeannie. When Jeannie turned 12, Clark changed his mind and went back on that promise, and her mom was just like, okay, and wouldn't get Jeannie the help for another year and a half. So Jeannie spent a total of 13 years living a life of abuse and isolation. Yeah, this is a pretty bad situation. All of this makes Mm -hmm. me very upset. Yeah. When Jeannie was around 13 and a half years old, which would be October of 1970, her life changed completely. Her parents got into a massive, very violent fight. Jeannie's father was obviously terrifying, as Nicole's mentioned many times yeah throughout this podcast um but this time something sort of shifted in Jeannie's mom Jeannie's mom Irene threatened to walk out and never come back if she wasn't allowed to call her own parents on the phone the fight continued but Jeannie's father did not allow her to make the phone call eventually the fight petered out and Jeannie's dad left the house for some reason or another. I mean, he was the only one allowed to leave, so probably errands. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to go get cigarettes, but I will be back. <laughs> Mark my words. So Jeannie's mom packed a go bag as quickly as she possibly could. She loaded Jeannie up into the car and drove to her parents' house in Monterey Park, California, which sounds terrifying because she's practically blind. Mm-hmm. But I looked it up and it's only about 10 miles away. So that's, I think, another part of the story that's very like heartbreaking and just Mm -hmm. like it's like her parents and her friends were nearby it's not like she was in another state or even like out like an hour away like they were like i think it was like the next town over literally it was it's like the next town over and like they both lived like close to the border of Mm -hmm. the towns yeah yeah it was literally like i this is a geography podcast (laughs) you can cross us it's like a 15-minute drive yeah exactly approximately 15 minutes definitely 10 miles though Mm. i promise that yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) at the time Jeannie's brother john was now 18 years old and irene simply left him at the house to fend for himself when she left with Jeannie. she Mm. was like bye i have to go why wasn't she just like hey come with me you should drive probably because you can see out of both of your eyes she didn't think that far she didn't have the (laughs) foresight for that so uh he left a few short hours after discovering that the house was empty and he went to stay with a friend technically since he was a legal adult he could not be forced to come back to the house and he just straight up didn't i'm confused why he was living there at 18 anyways i mean as soon as he was of age i would think he would be out of that place i don't know i i think that there's a lot 
of like things that we don't think about because we are not abused. Yeah. So probably a lot of like fear factor in there, like like hosted by Joe Rogan. Um, like a lot of like fear just to like factor in of like what if you don't yeah. come back. He could have been sort of there to keep an eye on his sister and his mom too. That's I true. Guess. Yeah. Maybe like didn't want to leave them alone. Yeah. Yeah. That's a nice thought. Mm. Also, I'm just going to guess that Jeannie's dad, what was his name? Carol? Cynthia. Cynthia. <laughs> Cynthia. <laughs> we can call him Carol, too. <laughs> uh, was probably just, like, too busy spiraling about Jeannie and Irene, mm. like, to like that they left, yeah. to even care where John was. When he legally couldn't do anything anyways, so. Yeah. And John probably mm. didn't have the proper ID to get back in anyways. <laughs> So he forgot the password that day. Yeah, it was chunky peanut butter, and he kept saying creamy. Oh, yeah, imposter. I also tried to look up information about like what happened inside the house after they left, but I wasn't able to find anything because it was only like mm. only Clark was there, really. Yeah. Also, I tried so very hard to find the father's journals oh. or even like ex- like excerpts of them. Yeah, and I cannot find it anywhere on the internet. Yeah. So I'm going to say. I wonder if they purposely didn't share them because it was like so horrific. Maybe. I don't know. But I feel like it's like a little handwritten journal like locked up in evidence somewhere. Yeah. And I kind of morbidly want to see it. I bet you it would just like make you cry. I probably I I probably couldn't want to read it. Yeah. Yeah, I probably wouldn't be able to. On November 4th, just three weeks later. Jeannie's mother, who was about 50 at the time, decided that she should apply for disability benefits as she was unable to work. Irene was, like we said, almost completely blind, and she decided to apply for benefits for the blind at a government building in Temple City, California. With no one to watch Jeannie that day, she brought Jeannie with her. Then a very weird twist of fate occurred. Irene's blindness led her to enter the wrong door, a door literally right next to the one that she was trying to walk through. She entered the general social service offices right next to the benefits for the blind office. Man, I, I've like, I believe that's like fate or like the universe, like working. Like you, to you gotta come in here. This, this girl needs saving. The next door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A social worker greeted the pair at the door and instantly noticed that something was wrong. She sat Irene down and began asking her questions about her daughter. She was floored when she found out Jeannie's real age. She had estimated that Jeannie was around six to seven years old, based on her size, and she also assumed that the girl was mentally disabled, even asking if Jeannie had autism. So Jeannie's 13 and a half, right? Uh-huh. And they thought she was six or seven. Six years old, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Irene became annoyed with the questioning, and the social worker called over her supervisor for help. They took Jeannie's mom aside, and the supervisor questioned her while the social worker called the police. Both of Jeannie's parents, Clark and Irene, I'm sorry, Cynthia and Irene (laughs) Wiley, were arrested shortly after and held on charges of child abuse. Yeah. Jeannie became a ward of the court, but the channels she traveled through were very, very different than that of a normal foster situation. Just because she was, like, a very different child. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot, a lot going on. <laughs> just just a few things. Just, just a little bit. Uh-huh. Because of her weak physical condition and her inability to communicate in any way, the court order was issued to give Jeannie anonymity 
And then they took her to the child's hospital in Los Angeles. So this is when she was pretty much dubbed like Jeannie. Jeannie, yeah. They probably called her Jane until someone was like, okay, I have this really clever thing about Yeah, someone thought they were being really clever that day. So I just call her Jane, dude. (laughs) Jane with a G if you have to, but like stop. Yeah. I want to drive home here that Jeannie is basically almost 14 years old. She's 13 and a half. Yeah. She weighs somewhere between 50 and 60 pounds. She wears diapers because she was never potty trained. She has absolutely no muscle tone, and she can only say a few words, the majority of which included, stop it, and no more. Mm. While doing this research, I cried over and over and over and over, and I want to cry right now. Sorry. I just really, it's really upsetting to me. And I know I keep saying it, but it's like, this one's like, when we were doing Feral Children, we were going to include like a little section about Jeannie. And yeah, then we realized it's, it deserved its own episode. Yeah. And I remember telling you, like, I was reading about this one feral child and like, Mm -hmm. I kept crying and you were like, why? And then you looked it up and you were like, oh my fucking God. It's like, how can somebody do this to another person, let alone a child, your own child? But also, if you think about it, they kind of did this to, like, four children, in a way. John was, like, the only one that survived in some normal capacity. Yeah. The other two, they, like, basically killed. The other, yeah, and I'm, this is probably a hot take, but I feel like the other two probably had it better dying uh-huh. at an early age than having to go through this horror yeah. that Jeannie did. Yeah. It's better I think, to be dead than to go through this. Yeah. For sure. So this part in the story is where, in my opinion, it goes from very, very bad to kind of a little bit better, but then also bad and also Mm. like a bunch of many different ways. Mm. Like, sure, Jeannie is out of the hands of her parents, but she's now in the hands of people that want to treat her sort of like a specimen and not so much the human being that she just has never been treated like. Yeah. When she was admitted to the children's hospital, a man named David Riggler, who is the chief psychologist at the hospital, he's also a therapist and a psychology professor at University of Southern California, along with the head of of the psychiatry division and child abuse expert Howard Hansen, took control of Jeannie's care immediately. They started formulating a plan of what to do with the child. They chose James Kent, who is a physician and an advocate for child abuse awareness, to examine Jeannie for the first time. James Kent called Jeannie, quote, the most profoundly damaged child I had ever seen. Yeah. You think. The staff assigned to Jeannie's care applied for a grant from the National Institute of Mental Health to study for to study Jeannie's rehabilitation. Ironically, her rescue coincided with an extremely popular film that had just been released called The Wild Child about an 18th century French, quote, wolf boy and a doctor who adopted and tried to rehabilitate him and assimilate him into human society. So like an actual feral child that was like raised like with animals. Mm -hmm. And this came out and the doctors were like, that could be us. We could get this fame, too. Mm. didn't we talk about that in one of our feral children episodes i think we did we talked about a lot of yeah it was like a french name for like wolf boy or something Mm -hmm. and we struggled saying it (laughs) because we're we're not french what you lied to me i I know i thought i was french i know we can't we can't know how to say all of the words that's true we're pretty bad at actually pronouncing a lot of things (laughs) 
I can't even speak English, and it's my first language, so. I'm stumbling over a lot of these words. <laughs> Stumble a lot. <laughs> correct, correct. Stumble a lot. <laughs> so if you guys will remember, um, if you had a chance to listen to our Feral Children episode, you'll remember that there's this theory, especially that was really popular in the 70s, that if a child didn't learn culture or language by the time it hit puberty, that it would just never, ever learn it. Mm-hmm. This is known as the Lindbergh theory. This period of a child's life is called the critical period. And really, this stage is defined by the first three years of the child's life, which we know more about now. But in the 70s, it was like this whole like hot, like movement. A hot take. It was a real hot take (laughs) back then. This is when the nervous system is most sensitive and the brain is developing the most rapidly within the first three years. Mm -hmm. What's really interesting is that it pertains to like every sense that we have. So if a child is kept in pitch black darkness, it will never develop the ability to see. Never? No. Because it's like, it doesn't need to. Yeah. So its body just doesn't do it like Daredevil style. That's so interesting. Yeah. And then it can hear like raindrops on like Jennifer Garner's face and like see like what she looks like. It can like catch a brick if you throw it through a window mm -hmm. and it's going to hit Spider-Man's face. Yeah. It like echolocates. Mm. Yeah. 100%. That's exactly what happened to Daredevil. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. If you didn't know. Now you know. <laughs> Obviously, this is the stage in life where children will learn basic motor skills, like the beginning of language. They take in just environmental stimuli and figure out the basics of functioning in a society. And they do most of this just by watching the people around them. The people caring for Jeannie thought that she would never be able to function in a, quote, normal way, but she did receive some stimuli So she definitely wasn't completely deprived. So that worked out in her favor. Mm -hmm. Like she had that little window crack, remember? And she like heard a piano. I would think that it would be hard to deprive a child completely of everything. I mean, her dad obviously tried hard Mm -hmm. at doing that. But Mm -hmm. I mean, there's some things that are obviously like out. Yeah. Yeah. Unless it's like a sensory deprivation. Yeah, unless you keep him in that and then like slide a tray of food like underneath the door to them every time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, right. Like she had like physical contact and stuff. Yeah. So obviously she wasn't cared for in the way that she should have been. But luckily she was around people that, you know, she. I mean, she did hear people speak a little bit. Mm -hmm. And she did get her little window crack and... She did have some objects that she was allowed to play with creatively, Mm -hmm. even if it was just like a raincoat or whatever. A spool of thread. It was, God, it's just like the saddest thing to play with. Plastic food containers, whatever that means. Yeah. So there was a super small amount of basic stimuli, and it honestly saved her from being a, like a literal human vegetable. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to ever say the word stimuli again, so let's move on. Stimuli. Stop it. This period of Jeannie's life would be defined by a case study called, quote, developmental consequences of extreme social isolation under the direction of Dr. David Rickler. But we will get very heavily into this case a little bit later. Um, So we're just going to kind of skip that and we'll do research next time. Mm, On part two. Stay tuned. Yeah. Same bad time. Same bad channel. One of the team members in charge of Jeannie's care was Susan Curtis, who we talked about earlier, who gave her the name Jeannie. Mm -hmm. She was a young graduate of theoretical linguistics, which I don't know what that means. Like theoretical linguistics. Mm. Like the theory of language? I guess. I don't know. I'm not a scientist. Yeah, me either. 
She worked with Jeannie to develop her language and the way that she talks about her kind of makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Really? Yeah, she's very like, well, okay, here's a quote. She said, I was a very young woman given the chance of a lifetime. She wasn't socialized and her behavior was distasteful, but she just captivated us with her beauty. Uh, what? It's kind of weird, right? What beauty? I don't know. So, Like, is she saying that she's like a cute kid or like her beauty of just like wanting to learn? I think it's more of like her beauty of like, she's like a blank slate for this woman to like teach Study or something. And, yeah. She also goes into, like, this weird thing, which, again, we'll talk about more in next episode, where she's like, Jeannie loved me. She loved me like a mother. She loved me more than her mother. It's like, um... Well, it's not really a hard thing to accomplish because her mother was a psycho and was only allowed to be with her when she was feeding her. Yeah. Not even. The dad was feeding her. She was just allowed to watch. Yeah, but, like... I don't know. I just maybe I'm looking at it through like a really pessimistic, like pessimistic lens or something. Mm -hmm. But I just feel like she's kind of treating her like a zoo animal of like, like I was given the chance of a lifetime. Yeah, because when else are you going to find a child that has been deprived of like basically everything in their life? You're never going to get that opportunity to study another person like that unless another case happens where a sick person person does this to another child but like yeah i don't know i, I don't feel know. like you should be more so on the like side of i'm so happy we saved this little girl right and now we're going to do our best to help yeah. integrate her into mm -hmm. society and give her like a better life right i think that's what it is you're totally right it's not like a we we got the chance to help genie it's like look what i can do yeah i got look this. what i get to study now yeah, and it just, I don't know, it doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, it's a little cringy. Yeah. The only information the hospital had about the true nature of Jeannie's life came from what the police had shared with them. Irene didn't have much information, and Clark and his lawyer were unwilling to talk about it. There remained more questions than answers into Jeannie's childhood, and honestly, the story, like the full story, has never really been pieced together. Mm. By November 17th, just a few weeks after her rescue... Photos of Jeannie, along with tidbits of her story, were released to major media outlets. The press went wild. I mean, this was like a time when there were just millions of reporters and getting like a gotcha story was like a super yeah. cool thing. So they would camp outside of people's homes or like prison or whatever to like try to catch glimpses of people. It was like sensational like news. Yeah. So this is like when that started. But this really stressed Jeannie's dad oh, out. Did he ask for everyone's proof of identification when they tried to come on his property? Well, yeah. he got, So he got to go home. He got released on bail, um, and then he was awaiting trial. Okay. So he's at his house, and it's just, like, totally bogged down by press. Like, they are yeah. all around his house 24 hours a day. And he's a guy who always kept himself and his family in isolation, so. Yeah. And now he's, like, camera flash after camera flash. Yeah. So he is said to have undergone panic attacks at the attention, and he had, quote, a lot of trouble handling the whole situation. Oh, I'm sorry. Are you handling the situation oh. badly because you're getting too much attention? Sorry, Cynthia. Oh, oh. For three days, he sat inside of his house, hiding from the relentless press outside of his home. He said he could hear them yelling, and it upset him. Because, you know, he loved silence. Oh, well, at least they weren't fucking growling and barking and scratching at your door, Clark. God, I wish they were. I know, right? 
Offer after offer to interview him was made, but he turned them all down and he refused to speak with anyone. Then, the day before he was scheduled for a court appearance on these child abuse charges, he took his own life. Of course he did. Mm -hmm. He died by suicide on the morning of November 20th, leaving behind two suicide notes and $400 in cash meant for John. Fucking coward. Mm -hmm. Both short, the first suicide note read, Be a good boy. I love you. And that had 400 bucks on top of it. Oh, okay. Yeah, for John. Which police thought was basically for John. So, like, they gave John the money. They're like, this is from your dad. He's super dead. And John high super dead. And John high five them. He was like, "Yes, hell yeah, four hundred bucks." Hey, my dad's mm. dead. The second note contained only one sentence: "The world will never understand." So I want to just unpack that with you really quick, and I want you to I want to know what you think he meant by "the world will never understand." I think he was trying to like. What's the word I'm looking for? Wax poetic? Yeah, and try to make himself not look like the bad guy that he clearly was. Yeah. Like, I did this for a certain reason, but you'll never understand Mm, type of thing. I'm not really that bad. Uh I look like a bad guy, but I'm not. I saved her from getting hit by a truck. (laughs) She could have gotten hit by a truck. Which would have been worse than this. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I just think that's really, like, self-serving and very selfish. Very, very Mm self-serving. So with Jeannie's father gone, things once again shifted. The charges of child abuse were dropped against Irene. The therapist that had been supervising Jeannie, Howard Hansen, was now also supervising Irene. Irene, like, just fully moved into this hospital also. Yeah, well, I mean... She has also been, as much as, I mean, Jeannie, obviously, it's the worst for her. Mm -hmm. But Irene has also been living in an abusive situation since she married the man. For what? Um, 40 years? Yeah, I'm sure she's not mentally okay either. Yeah, and she wasn't. But the therapist said that she was loving and nurturing and that she was trying really hard to, like, be a mom for Jeannie, especially after Clark died. Mm -hmm. Now that she could. Yeah, basically. A friend of Howard Hansen's attorney, John Minor, was asked to represent Irene in court. His stance was that Irene had been beaten by her husband and was too afraid for her life to do anything that he would disagree with, including saving her kids from the situation. Mm -hmm. He also cited her near blindness as a main reason that she was unable to protect her children from abuse, which I kind of agree with. Yeah, I agree with that, too. I mean... If you can't see, I guess she could have like ran out of the house and ran to the neighbors if she really wanted to. But also it was the 70s. And I feel like even if she had done that, the Mm -hmm. police probably just would have returned her back to her husband and she would have gotten beat to shit anyways. Yeah, that's pretty valid. So it was the 70s. Yeah, it was a different time. The court agreed that she was not at fault. And thanks to her, thanks to her physical and mental state. Um, so she was just basically like the charges were dropped and they're like, all right, well, good luck. Pretty much. Yeah. Your husband's dead. We don't know what to do. So we're done. Yeah. Then they made the little butterfly thing with their hands. (laughs) Jeannie's brother, John, felt that he was unable to receive any love from his mother after his father died. John never seemed to receive any evaluations or mental or physical health care in relation to this case. Why not? Nothing I could find. Jeez. He claimed that Irene focused all of her attention on Jeannie. 
So he decided to leave Los Angeles and his family behind. And he never saw them again. Because Irene was focusing too much on Jeannie. Yeah. Her daughter who can't speak and has been Mm -hmm. isolated and deprived of basically everything her entire life. Okay, John, you take your $400 and you go to L.A. No, he's leaving L.A. Oh, he leaves L.A. He leaves L.A. Yeah, so he never sees his mom again. Um, Mm. Spoiler, Jeannie and John are still alive. Um, Sorry to spoil that. But uh, he, like, never comes back, ever. He's just, like, done with the whole situation, which I kind of get also. Like, maybe distance yourself. Yeah, I don't know how healthy that is. I feel like he definitely needs – I mean, I would hope he sought out some help. Yeah, he needs to unpack some stuff. Afterwards. That's for sure. But, uh, yeah. yeah. With Irene in a stable situation, receiving mental health care, and being allowed to stay with her daughter, the study of Jeannie continued. The most noticeable thing about the little girl was her walk, or hop, Mm -hmm. we should say. They called it the bunny hop or the bunny walk because both of her knees remained bent as if she was unable to straighten them. Her arms bent forward like little T-Rex arms. There's a picture that we'll post. It's very, Mm -hmm. it's sad and sweet, honestly. She did not use her legs independently like most of us do when walking, but instead she would bend her knees in in unison, sort of like hop along in like a strange Mm -hmm. disordered gait. I wonder where she learned that from, like how to walk like that. Well, this is likely caused by being oh. tied to the potty chair. Oh. Uh-huh. So she's tied to this potty chair in a bent limb position. That's how she probably got around the room. She hopped around. Because <gasps> she couldn't move her legs. Mm. And that's what she did for 13 years. Jesus. So that's how she's like, this is how you walk. This is how you move. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. So I think that that's why, like, her legs and arms are bent also, because she's tied to this oh, potty yeah. chair. Her arms would be bent that on That totally the... makes sense, yes. right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also she's tied in a sleeping bag, so that's going to restrict her limb mobility as mm-hmm. well. After her initial examination by Dr. James Kent, he described Jeannie as, quote, by far the most severe case of child abuse that I have ever encountered. And he stated that he was extremely pessimistic about her prognosis. Mm-hmm. Jeannie was pale from a lifetime spent indoors. She was extremely malnourished and shockingly underweight. She was four foot six inches high, which is a normal height for a 13-year-old, 14-year-old. But she weighed only 59 pounds. Her weight was up since leaving her father's house as well. So it's estimated that she was closer to 50 pounds when her mother took her from the home several weeks prior. She had almost two full sets of teeth in her mouth. What? Which I never fucking thought about. (gasps) So I went down a real rabbit hole about like baby teeth, which baby teeth are insane. Well, they cut, they they come, they fall out. Uh, Right. Baby teeth are supposed to fall out and then adult teeth like come out, like come through, right? Well, apparently, if there's nothing to agitate the baby teeth to fall out, they don't fall out. She was just eating mush the whole time. Right. Like, you have to eat solid foods and you have to, like, gnash your teeth together, which is what loosens the root. The new ones don't push them out? They pushed them to the side. Oh, God. Ugh. I know, dude. I never thought of that. I never thought of that Like, they don't just fall out. They have have to to kind of, like, be worked out. And if you're not, I guess... How you like the first three years? If you don't yeah. see, if you you're in the dark and your eyes can't develop, if you're not eating solid foods, then your 
body's probably just like, oh, well, we could just keep these. We don't need to push out the old ones to get like yeah. harder ones because we're having to eat food. Isn't that fucking nuts? I never thought of this. That's crazy. That like I just like baby teeth fall out. Is there a picture of it? I don't. I don't know. I'll look. That'd be. I'll look for one. That'd be really. I don't even. I don't even know how that would. Yeah. Look. So that's pretty wild. Ooh. Yeah. She also had a distended abdomen, which mm-hmm. is most likely caused from malnutrition. Yeah. Um, which, for anyone that doesn't know what that means, remember those images of like the little African children that were super popular for charities to parade around in the 90s? Yeah. But the cost of a cup of coffee a day. Less than a cup of coffee. <laughs> yeah. So they have like their little thin limbs and then their big bellies. That's basically exactly what Jeannie looked like. Yeah. She had a thick callus and heavy black bruising on her butt from the restraining harness that her father used to strap her to the potty chair. And this took two months to heal. Jeannie received full x-rays of her body, and this showed that she had moderate, I'm going to butcher this, moderate coxa vulga. Okay. Sure. Basically, what that means is that her hip angle was set to a tighter degree than 180. So, like, Mm -hmm. you and I can stand up straight and, like, even, like, kind of bend our hips backwards. Yeah. She physically could not do that. So whether she was born that way, like, it started that way. You remember she had to wear the hip harness. Yeah, she had the splint. Yeah. But then she's tied to a chair. Right. So she never stands upright. So her bones don't develop. They don't develop correctly. And she cannot ever stand up straight for the rest of her life. Wow. Yeah. She also had severely undersized rib cage, which I don't know hmm. why that would be. Maybe because of the straight jacket? Oh, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. That's just my speculation. Yeah. But this caused pressure on her internal organs, which in turn caused them to be slightly displaced in her body cavity. Ooh. So, like, her, like, intestines were further down than they should have been. And, like, her lungs were, like, narrow and long. <sighs> yeah. Doctors determined her bone age to be the same as an 11-year-old. So essentially, she had not gone through puberty yet because of her condition. Mm. She did have normal binocular vision, so she could see pretty well out of both of her eyes. But she was unable to focus on anything more than 10 feet away from her. Oh. Her bedroom was around 10 feet wide. Yeah, so doctors think that that was like a correlation. Wow. Also, her eyes were extremely sensitive to light likely from being kept in low-light conditions her whole life. Her basic motor skills were severely lacking. She could not walk on her own, as her muscles were too weak. Eventually, she'll get the ability to do that, but when they first got her, she was like, she needed a lot of help. She could not straighten any of her limbs or stand upright, as we discussed. And she did her little bunny walk to get around, which she basically never learns how to walk normally, because mm-hmm. her body physically cannot do it. Well, yeah, it's like you need your hips to move the walk, too. And if mm-hmm. her hips are, like, stunted and mm-hmm. in a permanent position, it's like the only way she can is if she, like, hops or, like, walks yeah. in, like, that, like, crouched position she was tied to. Yeah. Ugh. Dr. Ken also believed that her motor skills were stunted from being kept in low light, which would make her less likely to take, quote, confident steps. And her body never really got used to, like, doing that. Mm. Like, used to just basically being a normal person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She did have surprisingly good fine motor skills for someone in her condition. She was determined to have the fine motor skills of a two-year-old child. Which sounds terrible, but, I mean, it's so much better than nothing, yeah. right? Yeah. 
She could not chew her food, though, because she didn't know how to chew food. Because she was never given solid food. Right. She never had to chew, so she just didn't. And when solid food was put into her mouth, she and she was unable to swallow the solid food, she would just let it like sit in her mouth until the saliva broke it down. And then if this took too long, she would spit it out and mash it up in her hands with her fingers and then like wow. feed it to herself again. That's interesting that she knows to do that, though. Dude, you know? right? Like survival skills. Yeah. I know. It's That's like, go genie, very dude. Very interesting. That's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. She had a lot of trouble swallowing in general. Um, she could not swallow solid food. She could not swallow like a semi-solid. Mm-hmm. She couldn't even swallow a thick liquid. So like a milkshake. She could, would have trouble. Couldn't do a milkshake, Aww. ma'am. She could do water, but she wasn't great at it. She just really? like had a lot of trouble swallowing in general. Wow. She was completely incontinent from never having been potty trained. She could not hold her bowels at all, and she was kept in diapers as a result. Also, she did not respond to extreme temperatures. Um, I don't really what? understand why this is a test that they do, but basically a doctor would put something like very, very cold on her arm. Yeah. And she didn't care, didn't react. And then they would put what? something very hot on her arm, didn't care, didn't react. They would pick like prick her with pins didn't give a shit she would just sit there like it didn't bother her i wonder what about her being locked in that room like is it just because she was always just kept at the same temperature i don't know time i don't know is it like an abuse tactic of like uh or like an abused like i guess result of being abused of like she just let everything happen to her yeah well she didn't express emotions and she was like expressionless that's true so maybe she it was hurting her and she just didn't know how to show that it was maybe but yeah i don't know i don't think it's wow. a weird test anyway that isn't is weird it? yeah the doctors found it extremely difficult to test Jeannie's mental age or any of her cognitive abilities because she was just wildly unable to adhere to and pay attention to the tests that they were administering mm. but after a few attempts they did come up with a conclusion that Jeannie scored at a level of a 13-month-old baby. Wow. That's yep. her mental age? Yeah. This is Holy a shit. 14-year-old girl Jesus, with the mental capacity of a 13-month baby. Wow. One thing that is very heartwarming to me is that Jeannie loved toys. Mm. The doctor saw that she was curious about objects more so than people, so they would give her like little like baby toys, and mm. she would play with them for hours and hours. <laughs> Just totally into it. She was very interested in exploring new environmental stimuli as well. God damn it, I said stimuli. <laughs> stimuli. <laughs> and she seemed especially curious about unfamiliar sounds. So she would kind of like search around the room to see where the sound came from. Oh. Which is fun. That's, that's pretty cute. Yeah, that's what my dog does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They exposed Jeannie to puppies and kittens, mm. but she was terrified of them. Which, I mean, we talked about earlier where You're her dad would bark and growl at her and stuff. But can you imagine giving her a kitten? Her like, they, like, gave her a puppy. They're like, look at this puppy, Jeannie. And she, like, couldn't handle it. Well, she also pro- has probably never seen one before in her life. So she oh, was like, true. what the hell is this? Yeah. Yeah. The doctors originally thought that this was because she was incapable of rational thinking. Mm-hmm. And then they found out about the barking thing that her dad did. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
Jeannie was curious about the hospital staff members, and she would approach anyone regardless if she knew them. She didn't show any attachment to anyone, though, not even her mom or her brother. Well, it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah, right. She would allow her mother to touch her when no one else was allowed to at the beginning of the research. So there's that, at least. Oh, she wouldn't allow people to touch her? No. She'd, like, recoil. Like, oh, don't touch me. Okay. Mm-hmm. But her mom could touch her, so that's something. She would comply with sitting on her mother's lap when she was told to do so, but she would tense her body and remain as still as possible until she was allowed to get up. Then she would move as fast as she possibly could away from the situation. A note in Jeannie's medical file states that the hospital staff believed that her mother was, quote, completely oblivious to Jeannie's emotions and actions. Going as far to say that her mother didn't think that anything was wrong with her or abnormal about Jeannie's behavior. I'm sorry, what? Isn't that wild? She has the mental capacity of a 13-month baby, and she's 14 years old, and you don't think there's anything wrong with that? Isn't that wild? I she, know. like, can't even walk. I'm, wow, okay. I don't know. I don't know how to rationalize that. Like, is it <sighs> because this is all she knew about Jeannie? Maybe, but, I mean, it's not like she was sheltered from the outside world. She knows how people should be acting. She had John. Yeah. Like, John was fine. And she grew up as a person until she was, like, what, like, 18 or something and Mm -hmm. she moved to and found clark so it's like she knows how people should be acting yeah but she was just like oh that's just genie it's problematic genie was extremely antisocial and she did not behave in like any real measured way she would point to something if she wanted it and then she would just take that object if she wanted it she just had no like she didn't know how to be in a society. She didn't know what basically. was right and what was wrong. Yeah. So whether it was out of someone's hand or on a table, she would literally just snatch it away if she wanted it. She also constantly salivated and spit. This was likely because she had trouble swallowing for some reason. Yeah. I wonder why that is. I don't know. I wonder if it's because she was just fed like soft foods, but you still have to swallow or maybe because... When her dad would feed her, he would just, like, shove it into her face. That didn't be. give her the chance to swallow. I was thinking, though, like, you know how little kids can't swallow pills? Yeah. But, like, adults can. Like, you kind of have to, like, teach yourself to swallow a pill. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's, like, a practice thing. Maybe, like, you have to eat solid foods in to order practice, for your body yeah. to get used to swallowing. Maybe. Because babies drool all the time. They that's, don't know how to yeah, swallow. That's Well, yeah, and if she's got the mental mm-hmm. capacity of a 13-month baby, then, yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Her nose also ran constantly. I have no idea why. Um, But she would blow her nose on just anything nearby. Like, she'd, like, come up to you and, like, wipe her nose on your body. Yeah. She had no situational awareness, and she didn't know what was or was not appropriate to do at any given moment. As you said earlier, she showed no impulse control. Um. She just would, like, basically frequently engage in open masturbation. Mm. And also, she would try to get the, like, older men, like, the doctors involved. Yeah, which is a heavy indication that her father probably sexually abused her. Yeah, for sure. Jeannie did show signs that she understood what eye contact was and nonverbal responses, like a gesture. Like, if you pointed to something, she would look in that direction. Mm -hmm. She also understood facial expressions from other people. 
She was just unable to make gestures or facial expressions of her own in response. Usually she just made like a grimace face or she looked afraid. Mm. Yeah, that was like her go-to. She could differentiate between language and other sounds, but almost never responded and remained completely silent. When Jeannie did make a small noise, she would, quote, wildly attack herself, like hit herself and scratch herself. When she made a noise? Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. Because it was bad at right. her dad's house. Right. And while she was doing so, she would remain completely expressionless. Oh. She never cried. She never vocalized pain or that she was upset. And doctors thought that she didn't know how to cry. That's what I'm saying. Like when they were testing her for like hot Mm -hmm. and cold, it's like probably she was like, ow, this fucking hurts. But she didn't know how to express that. So they were just like, oh, she didn't respond. Yeah. But she was responding internally. Yeah. That's really sad. Yeah. Instead of actually making noise herself, she would push chairs or other small objects around, causing them to make a noise. Hmm. Initially, her violent outbursts seemed random and occurred really often. She never indicated a source of her anger, but she would continue these fits until she was either distracted by something else or she became too physically exhausted to continue. Hmm. And then she would again become silent and non-expressive. So she would just randomly just burst out in like in a fit of anger yeah. for no reason? Yeah. I'm going to hmm. assume that it was probably like something did make it happen like maybe she heard a noise that was loud and like she's not used to that yeah there has to be something, something set that her caused off it. and then she yeah yeah it was proven in january of 1971 that Jeannie understood her own name which is nice yeah she's making progress yeah for sure then she also knew the names of a few other people and she knew about 15 to 20 words She could only say two phrases, clearly, which we talked about earlier, which was stop it and no more. Mm. The linguists that worked with Jeannie could not determine the extent of her expressive vocabulary. So they don't know, basically, if she learned how to say stop it and no more while she was in their care. Oh. Or before. Or at the house. Yeah, there was, like, no way of knowing. Oh. So... They don't know if she would, like, say that to her dad or if she learned that at the hospital. How would she have learned that, though, to say? I don't know. To her dad. Maybe she heard her mom yelling it. Oh, maybe when he was beating her. Yeah. I don't know. She was not selectively mute like they had originally thought. And tests found no physiological or psychological explanation for her lack of language. Because her existing medical records also contained no clear indication of mental disabilities, Researchers determined that due to her extreme isolation and lack of exposure to language during childhood, she had just not acquired a first language. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. Yeah. Um, by my professional opinion. Yeah. It's pretty safe to <laughs> to opinionate on that one. Yeah. Um that makes sense. So yeah, this is where we're going to end today's episode on Jeannie the Feral Girl. Feels kind of I don't like saying that so much. I, yeah, I don't I don't know if I necessarily consider her feral. She's technically feral because she doesn't have language or society, yeah. but she's just like really abused. Yeah, it's not like she was like brought up by animals. Well, I guess technically you can Well, her say dad Clark's was not not animalistic. Not, not animal. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. So we'll pick up next week with a just continuation. We're going to go over the research into her case and then the conclusion of where Jeannie is now. 
Yeah, I'm so excited. I haven't read this far yet, so. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. Because I know she's still alive. Yeah. It gets it gets happier. Ooh, yeah. okay. It's going to well, get sadder, and then it's going to get And then happier. it's going to get happier? Yeah. Huh. So. We'll end be, it on a high note. <laughs> there'll be maybe, like, a kitten that gets pat later in her life. Oh. Oh. Uh, that's right. A kitten. A kitten. Yes. Oh, one. Okay. One. All right. So All we'll right. take it, right? So we're going to end it really super sad yep. this week and then next week a little happier. Got to. And then maybe next week we'll do something scary or spooky or, yeah. you know, change things up a yeah. bit. You know what? Let's throw in a, uh, what do we call them? Quite unscripted. Quite unscripted. Let's do like a little like chat sesh. Like chat sesh. after Genie, we're just going to let it all out. Okay. We've been watching a lot of horror movies lately, so maybe we can talk about that a little yeah. bit. Something. Who knows? Anyways, um, we're not going to read listener mail, because this is yeah. in the middle of a two-parter. We'll save that for part two. Part two. Let's just end this joint. <laughs> if you like us, rate, review us, and subscribe to our podcast. Oh, yeah. You can do that on Spotify now. Yeah. And also, we haven't gotten a written review in, like, 20 days. So yeah. can we step it up a not peachful? Nope, peachful. <laughs> can we? Oh my god. I'm not cutting that out. Please don't cut it. Peachful. Um can we step it up a notch, people? Is what I meant to say. You know what? Don't give us a review because now I don't deserve one. We don't deserve <laughs> reviews. Just give us a five star review and then write peach pull. <laughs> That's all you have to say. Well no. I want to see how many of those we get. Well we're not I feel gonna like get sometimes any. people are like, I don't know what to say, but now you do. Just say peach pull. Peach pull. Yeah. Just openly heckle us. You'll and know and I'll know. Yeah. Then... Heckle me and Nicole will stand up for herself. <laughs> And I'll dodge. Yeah. She's going to orange feedback coming. <laughs> <laughs> All right, people. Um, if you want to support the podcast, you can hit us up on Patreon. Next week, we are doing a movie club. So if you join before next week, you can watch a movie with us. And as always, remember to celebrate the strange. And keep it unusual. Bye. Bye, Peach Bowl. <laughs>